Chapter Sixteen, Part Three of Three Men and a Maid. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tim Bulkley of BigBible.org. Three Men and a Maid by P. G. Woodhouse. Chapter Sixteen, Part Three. Of all the leisured pursuits, there are few less attractive to the thinking man than sitting in a dark cupboard waiting for a house party to go to bed and Sam, who had established himself in the one behind the piano at a quarter to eight, soon began to feel as if he had been there for an eternity. He could dimly remember a previous existence in which he had not been sitting in his present position, but it seemed so long ago that it was shadowy and unreal to him. The ordeal of spending the evening in this retreat had not appeared formidable when he had contemplated it that afternoon in the lane, but now that he was actually undergoing it, it was extraordinary how many disadvantages it had. Cupboards as a class are badly ventilated, and this one seemed to contain no air at all, and the warmth of the night, combined with the cupboard's natural stuffiness, had soon begun to reduce Sam to a condition of pulp. He seemed to himself to be sagging like an ice-cream in front of a fire. The darkness, too, weighed in upon him. He was abominably thirsty. Also he wanted to smoke. In addition to this, the small of his back tickled, and he more than suspected the cupboard of harbouring mice. Not once, nor twice, but many hundred times he wished that the ingenious Webster had thought of something simpler. His was a position which would just have suited one of those Indian mystics who sit perfectly still for twenty years contemplating the infinite, but it reduced Sam to an almost imbecile state of boredom. He tried counting sheep. He tried going over his past life in his mind, from the earliest moment he could recollect, and thought he had never encountered a duller series of episodes. He found a temporary solace by playing a succession of mental golf games over all the courses he could remember, and he was just teeing up for the sixteenth at Muirfield, after playing Hoylake, St. Andrews, Westwood Ho, Hanger Hill, Mid-Surrey, Walton Heath, Garden City, and the Engineers Club at Roslyn. L.I., when the light ceased to shine through the crack under the door, and he awoke with a sense of dull incredulity to the realization that the occupants of the drawing-room had called it a day, and that his vigil was over. But was it? Once more alert, Sam became cautious. True, the light seemed to be off, but did that mean anything in a country house where people had the habit of going and strolling about the garden at all hours? Probably they were still popping about all over the place. At any rate, it was not worth risking coming out of his lair. He remembered that Webster had promised to come and knock an all-clear signal on the door. It would be safer to wait for that. But the moments went by, and there was no knock. Sam began to grow impatient. The last few minutes of waiting in the cupboard are always the hardest. Time seemed to stretch out again interminably. Once he thought he heard footsteps, but that led to nothing. Eventually, having strained his ears and finding everything still, he decided to take a chance. He fished in his pocket for the key, cautiously unlocked the door, opened it by slow inches, and peered out. The room was in blackness, the house was still, all was well. With the feeling of a life-prisoner emerging from the Bastille, he began to crawl stiffly forward, 
and it was just then that the first of the disturbing events occurred which were to make this night memorable to him something like a rattlesnake suddenly went off with a whirr and his head jerking up collided with the piano it was only the cuckoo clock which now having cleared its throat as was its custom before striking proceeded to cook eleven times in rapid succession before subsiding with another rattle but to sam it sounded like the end of the world he sat in the darkness massaging his bruised skull his hours of imprisonment in the cupboard had had a bad effect on his nervous system and he vacillated between tears of weakness and a militant desire to get at the cuckoo clock with a hatchet he felt that it had done it on purpose and was now chuckling to itself in fancied security for quite a minute he raged silently and any cuckoo clock which had strayed within his reach would have had a bad time of it then his attention was diverted so concentrated was sam on his private vendetta with the clock that no ordinary happening would have had the power to distract him what occurred now was by no means ordinary and it distracted him like an electric shock as he sat on the floor passing a tender hand over the egg-shaped bump which had already begun to manifest itself beneath his hair something cold and wet touched his face and paralyzed him so completely both physically and mentally that he did not move a muscle but just congealed where he sat into a solid block of ice he felt vaguely that this was the end his heart stopped beating and he simply could not imagine it ever starting again and if your heart refuses to beat what hope is there for you at this moment something heavy and solid struck him squarely in the chest rolling him over something gurgled asthmatically in the darkness something began to lick his eyes ears and chin in a sort of ecstasy and clutching out he found his arms full of totally unexpected bulldog get out whispered sam tersely recovering his faculties with a jerk go away smith took the opportunity of his lips having opened to lick the roof of his mouth smith's attitude in the matter was that providence in its all-seeing wisdom had sent him a human being at a moment when he had reluctantly been compelled to reconcile himself with a total absence of such indispensable adjuncts of a good time and that now the revels might commence he had just trotted downstairs in a rather disconsolate frame of mind after waiting with no result in front of webster's bedroom door and it was a real treat to him to meet a man especially one seated in such a jolly and sociable manner on the floor he welcomed sam like a long-lost friend between smith and the humans who provided him with dog biscuits and occasionally with sweet cakes there had always existed a state of misunderstanding which no words could remove the position of the humans was quite clear they had elected smith to his present position on a straight watchdog ticket they expected him to be one of those dogs who rouse the house and save the spoons they looked to him to pin burglars by the leg and hold on till the police arrived smith simply could not grasp such an attitude of mind he regarded windles not as a private house but as a social club and was utterly unable to see any difference between the human beings he knew and the strangers who dropped in for a late chat after the place was locked up he had no intention of biting sam the idea never entered his head at the present moment what he felt about sam was that he was one of the best fellows he had ever met and that he loved him like a brother sam in his unnerved state could not bring himself to share these amiable sentiments 
He was thinking bitterly that Webster might have had the intelligence to warn him of bulldogs on the premises. It was just the sort of woolen-headed thing fellows did, forgetting facts like that. He scrambled stiffly to his feet, and tried to pierce the darkness that hemmed him in. He ignored Smith, who snuffled sportively about his ankles, and made for the slightly less black oblong which he took to be the door, leading into the hall. He moved warily, but not warily enough to prevent him cannoning into and almost upsetting a small table with a vase on it. The table rocked, and the vase jumped, and the first bit of luck that had come to Sam that night was when he reached out at a venture, and caught it just as it was about to bound onto the carpet. He stood there, shaking. The narrowness of the escape turned him cold. If he had been an instant later, there would have been a crash, loud enough to wake a dozen sleeping houses. This little thing could not go on. He must have light. It might be a risk. There might be a chance of somebody upstairs seeing it and coming down to investigate. But it was a risk that must be taken. He declined to go on stumbling about in this darkness any longer. He groped his way with infinite care to the door, on the wall adjoining which, he presumed, the electric light switch would be. It was nearly ten years since he had last been inside Windles, and it never occurred to him that in this progressive age even a woman like his Aunt Adeline, of whom he could believe almost anything, would still be using candles and oil lamps as a means of illumination. His only doubt was whether the switch was, where it was in most houses, near the door. It is odd to reflect that, as his searching fingers touched the knob, a delicious feeling of relief came to Samuel Marlowe. This misguided young man actually felt at that moment that his troubles were over. He positively smiled as he placed a thumb on the knob and shaft. He shoved strongly and sharply, and instantaneously there leaped at him out of the darkness a blare of music which appeared to his disordered mind quite solid. It seemed to wrap itself round him. It was all over the place. In a single instant the world had become one vast bellow of Tosti's good-bye. How long he stood there, frozen, he did not know. Nor can one say how long he would have stood there, had nothing further come to invite his notice elsewhere. But suddenly, drowning in the impromptu concert, there came from somewhere upstairs the roar of a gun. And when he heard that, Sam's rigid limbs relaxed, and a violent activity descended upon him. He bounded out into the hall, looking to the right and to the left for a hiding-place. One of the suits of armour which had been familiar to him in his boyhood loomed up in front of him, and with the sight came the recollection of how, when a mere child on his first visit to Windles, playing hide-and-seek with his cousin Eustace, he had concealed himself inside this very suit, and had not only baffled Eustace through a long summer evening, but had wound up almost scaring him into a decline by booing at him through the visor of the helmet. Happy days! Happy days! He leaped at the suit of armour. The helmet was a tight fit, but he managed to get his head into it at last, and the body of the thing was quite roomy. Thank heaven! said Sam. He was not comfortable, but comfort just then was not his primary need. Smith, the bulldog, well satisfied with the way things had happened, sat down, wheezing slightly, to await developments. End of chapter 16, part 3 Recording by Tim Bulkley of BigBible.org